I just love looking at a picture of people who are long gone, but they were here in this community, maybe temporarily, maybe this was their home, building a community that really um, would not be here without them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Total Michigan, where we interview ordinary Michiganders doing some pretty extraordinary things. I'm your host, Cliff Duvinois. I'm in Sault Ste. Marie, and one of the things that I absolutely love uh, more than anything, if you've been a, a listener of the show for a while, is I love history. And I love when people in Michigan take the time to work very hard to, to not only preserve the history of Michigan, but to also make it come alive for the newer generations that are coming up. And today I'm at the Chippewa County Historical Society. And in this interview, I got uh, fortunate enough to have Bernie Arvick as a guest on the show today. He is a board member, but you probably would know him as the photo guy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Bernie. Bernie, how are you? I'm doing very well, thanks, Cliff. Happy to be here with you. Excellent. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from, where did you grow up? All right, I, uh, I'm in my uh, ninth decade of, of living, and I, my family lived on Sugar Island, which is a very large island uh, just to the east of Sault Ste. Marie in the St. Mary's River. When I was born, they both uh, taught school in one-room schoolhouses in the 1930s, and that's, in fact, how they met. So when I was born, the first three years of my life, I lived on Sugar Island, and then the family moved up to the Sioux. So I grew up in the Sioux, graduated high school here. I've certainly lived in other places, traveled around, but my roots were here, and uh, shortly after I got married, uh, I brought my wife back here. And I spent my career teaching mathematics at Lake Superior State University. Now, the question I got for you, so you had your career teaching math. How did you start to get involved with the Chippewa County Historical Society? Well, that goes back to Sugar Island as well, actually. I saw a very interesting book done in Canada uh, in a small area east of the Sioux where my maternal grandmother grew up. And I thought, boy, this is an interesting book. I want to read the book about Sugar Island. And I looked around, there was no book about Sugar Island. So I thought, well, I'm going to write one. So that's what I did. That was the first book I wrote. It's called The Sugar Island Sampler. And I found out in the process, I love old photographs. And uh, I love digging and researching in history. I was approached by someone at the Historical Society saying, maybe you'd like to join us. And so that was probably early 1990s. And I've been involved ever since developed more and more attachment to photographs. For example, one of our photo archives is unbelievable, is about a thousand eight by 10 glass negatives of the construction of the power canal and the powerhouse that has run through the canal through our town since right around 1900. So you think glass negatives, I mean, that's, that's quite a collection. Now, I know that there's probably some people that are listening to this that are wondering, what is a glass negative? Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, in the era of digital photography, most people don't even have to deal with negatives of any kind anymore. Right. But when I was growing up, anybody anywhere near my age, cameras had film. And um, when you shot a picture, it was exposed on a negative and had to be developed in a dark room, and then the negative is printed as a positive, let's call it, by a, a process, a chemical process. With these glass negatives and the equipment available today, we were able to scan 
the negative and digitally produce a, a positive of it, and we can display that. We can make prints of it, or we can display it on the computer screen as a picture that people will recognize. But the negatives still retain the fidelity so well, better than any print would. And the larger a negative is, the better a print can be if it's especially going to be enlarged. And so it's a very rich, rich source. And when you're talking about it being a glass plate, yes. the negative literally is printed on a glass plate. Well, yeah, not printed. I mean, it's a, it was a chemical process, but the negative is right there in on the surface of the glass. Yes. Okay. The photographers used to have to, this is my understanding, I never saw it done. They used to have to carry chemicals around with them, put a coating on the glass and more than one, probably, everything being done in the dark. And then get, we've probably all seen, at least in movies, a photographer slams a negative into a big box camera, and then it's ready to be exposed for a picture. When they built the power canal and the powerhouse, the company hired a photographer to document the whole process. So it's, it's just an incredible piece of work that we were given this collection by what was then the Edison Sioux Electric Company about 20 years ago. And they said, yes, you can have these negatives, but if we ever need them for whatever purpose, we have the right to, to ask to see them. And then Edison Sioux was sold to what is now our, our electrical utility here, Cloverland Electric Cooperative. And they provided us with a stipend and some manpower to scan those negatives, produce digital images, which they got a set, and we have a set of digital images now. But the negatives are, are a backup. Right. Yeah. Because I remember when you were talking about the glass types, I was remembering back in, in my own family history, seeing tintypes. Oh, yeah. Now, you that's know, a really they... old process. Yes, as well. So, yeah, when we think about film and you're talking about before when you see in the movies and stuff, them sliding the, those big things into those huge cameras. Yes. So what you're saying is they were using glass yes. at the time? Oh, yes. Oh, that's fascinating. And there was a man in Marquette, actually, name of Childs, his last name. He toured around in the late 1800s with two cameras and took 3D shots. Oh, that's cool. You know, maybe in a mine or mm -hmm. even with some lighting or other shots. And then if you wear the glasses, there was actually a production in the Sioux by a man named Jack Deal in Marquette who has a collection of these pairs of images taken from different angles to give a 3D effect. And it was done in the Sioux Theater of uh, various things. So this guy is touring around in the late 1800s with, I assume, uh, some type of structure that could be a dark room and all these chemicals and all these glass plates <laughs> where he creates the, the plate, the negative, on the spot and then uh, uses it to, and he needs to take, create two for every image he wants because yes. it took two shots. So mm -hmm. thinking, holy smokes. He, he carted these things in canoe up into Canada and just, just incredible. So what I would like to do is, because they're, before you and I turn this on, and it's absolutely true, there's actually like a handful of historic organizations 
that are in Sault Ste. Marie. Yes. But it's a Chippewa County Historical Society. And what makes you different? Okay, our organization is probably the oldest. It was founded in 1919. So we had our centennial a few years ago. Some of the big names of our local history, like Chase Osborne, who's the only governor of Michigan to hail from the Upper Peninsula. He was one of the founding members and a man named, his last name was Steer, and he was a judge on the Michigan Supreme Court at one point, so I just know him as Judge Steer, was another founding member and another judge called Chapman. So some real, real uh, big names in our yeah, history yes. were in that 1919 group that founded this organization with the mission to help preserve the history of not just Sault Ste. Marie, but Chippewa County. And so uh, they would give, uh, they would have speakers and that sort of thing. Then the organization went dormant after, I'm, I'm thinking in the 1930s, uh, as these men got older, and it was literally men back right. in those mm -hmm. days, I'm, it sort of went dormant. It reemerged in 19, mid-50s, the centennial of the first lock in Sault Ste. Marie. It was built in 1855 by the state of Michigan. Now the locks are run by the federal government ever since 1881, but it was a big year in 1955, the centennial of that first lock, and the Chippewa County Historical Society was very active in celebrating that huge event. And it came back to life and was more active for another 20 years, maybe. And then it went dormant again. And fortunately, there were two women, um, I'll even mention their names, Florence Caffey and Rita Freeborn, who kept the organization alive on paper. It was very important because there were some assets that belonged to the society uh, accumulated over the years, uh, financial, and papers had to be filed, and that even though the organization wasn't doing much. Right. And then in the 19, early 1990s, a group of people got it back into a more active organization. So it's been about 30 years that it has been now again an active organization that holds meetings regularly, and uh, owns a building now. For most of the life of the Chippewa County Historical Society, we did not have a home. People stored our things in their own homes or rented a, a storage area because we have an awful lot of stuff. Those old pictures, that's what, I guess maybe I did say, that's when uh, somebody said, hey, why don't you get involved with the society and We've got some photos, and you could do what you kind of like to do. So, For our audience, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Chippewa County Historical Society and what you can expect when you come here. We'll see you after the break. Are you enjoying these amazing stories? Michigan is full of people that are doing some pretty extraordinary things. If you want these amazing stories sent directly to your inbox, head over to TotalMichigan.com, enter your email address, and get them today. You'll get advance notice of upcoming guests and early access to their interviews. Now, to get all these goodies, just head over to TotalMichigan.com slash join. Enter your email address and join our awesome community today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Total Michigan, where we interview ordinary Michiganders doing some pretty extraordinary things. I'm your host, Cliff DeVinois. 
Today, we're talking with Bernie Arbick, board member, photo guy of the Chippewa County Historical Society. And Bernie, so we're talking about things that are going on in history. And before the mics went hot, you were sharing something with me that I thought was really actually kind of cool and I think very unique when it comes to Sault Ste. Marie. And you made the comment to me about how if it wasn't for the GI Bill, Sault Ste. Marie, Marie would probably look a lot different than it does today. So why don't you share with us a little bit about that? Sault Ste. Marie has a long military history. We have Fort Brady was built on the river in 1822 to show the flag because the British were just to the north in Canada. We're right on the border, of course, with Ontario. And the British were maybe encroaching a little on trading and that kind of thing. And so the U.S. government built some forts along the northern border to say, hey, this is by a treaty in 1794. This is U.S. Even though it's Indian territory, it's U.S. And so that's the beginning of Fort Brady. It was on the river. In about 1895, that land was becoming pretty valuable, and the fort was moved further south and up on the hill. So there really is a second Fort Brady, and where, where Fort Brady on the river was, there's now a Brady Park, and our, um, our city hall is built on a piece of that land, but originally that was called the Federal Building that was built there. And so the, the fort up on the hill, ran f from um, the late 1800s up on through, and it, it was important protecting the locks, which was a strategic uh, asset to our uh, nation's infrastructure. And especially during World War II, it was thought to be a potential target because so much of the iron ore that made the steel that built tanks and jeeps and so forth, that iron ore from Minnesota and Upper Michigan passed through the locks headed to the steel mills on the lower lakes. But at the end of the war, the fort was clearly going to be closed down, and a, a very visionary man in Sault Ste. Marie, who was the editor of the uh, Sioux Evening News named John Zabelka, thought, hey, what are we going to do? This is a huge, enormous uh, economic impact when that fort closes. Maybe when all those GIs come back from World War II, a lot of them with the GI Bill are going to want to go to college, and there's going to be a lot of them that want to go to the Michigan College of Mining and Technology, which is 200 and some odd miles west of here in Houghton, Michigan, a very fine engineering school. They're going to probably have a, a surplus of applicants. Maybe we could talk them into setting up a branch campus on the grounds of Fort Brady on the hill. Make a long story short, there was a delegation that went to Washington and they convinced the, uh, the U.S. government to donate the land to the state of Michigan for the purposes of setting up an educational institution. Amazingly, in, in November of 1946, there were classes held. Michigan Tech sent faculty to Sault Ste. Marie. Nice. Yes, hands-on. I mean, they painted some of the rooms. They put up blackboards. <laughs> yeah, it was a real amazing thing. And the families in those days, typically, uh, they lived in duplexes that were once called Officer's Row. Then they became Faculty Row. 
and those buildings are still there up on the campus of Lake Superior State University. When I've sometimes given some, I act as a step-on guide to bus tours that come to the Sioux, and we go up on the, the campus and I have the bus driver stop, and I like to tell the story. I say, this institution with a lot of, of course, new buildings probably would not be here had it not been for what the GI Bill produced in terms of those GIs needing a place to go to school at the end of World War II. A lot of that first class in 46 were, in fact, GIs. You're a volunteer here. I met a lot of the other volunteers that are here as well. You're working very hard to preserve the history. So I guess my general question to you is, why is this important? Why is it important to to keep all this, to create all this history and to try to get just the public in general to care about the history? Again, my my big interest is photography, not taking pictures, but I, sh I shouldn't say photography. It's, it's the images, the historical images that we have. I just love looking at a picture of um, people who are long gone, but they were here in this community, maybe temporarily, maybe this was their home, building uh, a community that really um, uh, would not be here without them. And so a picture helps to tell their story in a way, uh, and especially, of course, for young people. Our mission statement says basically let to preserve and educate about the history of the area. Mostly at Sault Ste. Marie, simply because it dominates Chippewa County, but we do do something once in a while outside of uh, the city. And so we have offered um, summer programs for youngsters, especially, to try to get them interested in the history and appreciating who came before. I remember when I was young, I couldn't believe that there was very much around before I was born, you know, <laughs> kind of a self-centered way to look at it. People look at an aerial photograph of that and they all say, my gosh, I didn't realize how big that place was. I've heard of it, but I had no idea how big it was. And the same comment for the other big uh, industry was uh, Union Carbide. Same thing. Whew, how big that is, or was. Trying to convey that idea of where we have come from and, and who played a role in literally passing on to us what we have as part of it. And you know, there's a lot of interest in genealogy these days, people looking at their personal history, where they came from, literally where they came from. But I feel like what we do, in a way, it relates to, it's, it's sort of the genealogy of Sault Ste. Marie. Why has it evolved the way it has? For the Historical Society, you are open to the public. Very definitely. Yes. So what can people expect when they come here? One of the really big attractions at those open houses is a literally fantastic model railroad display that several people involved with the organization have built up over the years. And it probably uh, occupies, if you took a four by eight sheet of plywood, which is the base for these I bet there is six or eight four by eight sheet plywood. It is on huge. The flat. Yeah, to um, 
to accommodate all of these railroad tracks, trains, but more um, unusual perhaps is all of the model buildings, which one man in particular really uh, took off on and tried to build little uh, models of, of buildings that are very distinctive looking. One of them, for example, a business that's been around for a hundred years called Sue Builders is painted a very bright golden yellow with blue trim. Well, anybody who's been by it, then they look at this railroad display. Oh, there's Sue Builders. And that power canal that I talked about, they've got, it's not real water, but they've got a power canal Im embedded that looks like water in their display and bridges that go across it. Some of the well-known downtown buildings are on it, the railroad depot, of course. And it's all well-coordinated with software. So when kids come in before Christmas, you know, like the best possible audience you can imagine is a bunch of 10-year-olds <laughs> looking at this. And I mean, their eyes are like saucers. And wow, this is really, really, it, it's active. You know, it's not a static kind of thing. There's noises. There's a, they've got a, I guess it's a real railroad whistle on the second floor. You wouldn't want it on the first floor where this is. It would break people's eardrums. <laughs> There's a rope coming through the ceiling and kids are allowed to pull that rope and it sounds off that whistle up oh, on the second goodness. floor. So that's a big hit, of course. It is. And, and they have set up often, um, but I don't know if you call it a scavenger hunt or Look at this display, find where does a steam engine get its water and that kind of thing. And then you get a, maybe a, a classic engineer's hat if you answer six questions. Uh, <laughs> it's really very, very um, friendly for youngsters, but youngsters that are 70 years old also talk about it. It's really quite impressive. I loved, you talked before about being active. But it's also interactive because there's yes. buttons around the display yes. that kids can push to turn on lights and exactly. crossing signals, yes. which I thought was uh, was really clever. Yep. But also, too, and you kind of hinted about this before, and that was, it was like capturing Sault Ste. Marie in the 1950s. Yes. So a lot of the displays that are down there, like, the, like Paul, um, the gentleman you were talking about earlier, made a comment about how there's one building there where they used to create some kind of a wire. For, for the, the Mackinac, Mackinac Bridge. Bridge. Yes, yeah. Yes. And they actually, you, you can actually see spools in there with the cable wound around it and the crane that would pull them out of the building and load them. Oh, it was so fascinating mm -hmm. to see that. Yeah, that was in, first the Mackinac Bridge was built in the mid 50s. And the wire that many, many wires that were about this size, a little bit thinner maybe than a, than a wooden pencil. Not the lead in a pencil, but the pencil right. itself were all stranded together here in Sault Ste. Marie. And I think, maybe I'm wrong about that, what was done, but the, the operation had an important part of it here in Sault Ste. Marie. It was taken down then to St. Ignace, where those cables, which are two feet in diameter pretty much, were eventually spun across the straits. So Bernie, if somebody's listening to this interview and, you know, they want to check out the historical society, find you online, maybe even stop by and playing with that awesome train set. Yes. How can they do that? Well, online, our website 
is CCHSMI. That's for Chippewa County Historical Society, Michigan. CCHSMI.com. Okay. That'll get you to the website, which is uh, being revised, I believe, but I'm sure there's something out there anyway. We have a Facebook page that I'm pretty proud of that uh, if you go on Facebook and search Chippewa County Historical Society, you should find us, but beware or be careful. There's a Chippewa County in Wisconsin and there's a Chippewa County in Minnesota. So you want the Michigan one. You want the Michigan one if you want us. <laughs> and uh, th that will show you some of our activities and and many of our photos. Uh, like I post one every week, uh, Throwback Thursday. I have a lot of fun with uh, uh, posting from our very rich photo archives. We have currently about 2,600 digital images in a database searchable. If they come to Sault Ste. Marie, we're right on Ashman, almost to the water near the locks, uh, 115 Ashman. We have open hours, especially in the summer, weekdays, uh, and, and Saturday. We have quite a gift shop. I think we have the best collection of local history books in the area. Uh, in the winter, our hours are more um, more limited. Like right now, there's nobody else in the building except <laughs> except us, and except for those open houses for the um, holiday traffic. Um, but I think we are well worth a visit. For our audience, we'll make sure to include all those links in the show notes down below. Bernie, it's been awesome having you on the show today. Thank you. Well, I enjoyed it, Cliff. I, I like to talk about the history, so... Thank you for getting in touch with me. And for audience, you can always roll on over to TotalMichigan.com, click on Bernie's interview, and get the links that he mentioned above. We'll see you next week when we talk to another Michigander doing some pretty extraordinary things. We'll see you then.